This is Young Persons Radio here on Radio Free Brooklyn. I am your host, as always, Colby Smith. I will be with you until the 11 o'clock hour, at which point we will be followed by Two Thumbs Undecided at 11, then Badass Babes at noon, and then Objections to the Rule, Radio Free Brooklyn's answer to the Sunday morning political talk show circuit at 1 p.m. But in the meantime, I am joined today by no stranger to readers of Mashable.com or listeners to this very program, it's Mashable's culture reporter, Chloe Bryan. Hello. Hey, welcome back. Thank you. <laughs> I say that as if we haven't already been talking for like 20 minutes on... <laughs> this is the first time we've met. <laughs> we've simply never spoken to each other before. Not once. Not now, once. This is, uh, I think this is like the sixth or seventh straight uh, uh, Zoom interview I've done for the radio show. And I have to say... I don't think I'm going back. No? Never going back to the studio again. Oh, I thought you meant going back to Zoom recording. So you oh, like no. this better? You know, there, there are certain advantages. I can, it, it definitely makes scheduling easier. You know, if somebody can't do Sunday at 10 uh, live, then I can just be like, oh, well, does literally any other time work for you? That is the worst part as a, not the host, but someone who has been a guest before. I, <laughs> The number of times I've thought, maybe I'll throw up in here, is four. Four? Wow, okay. Five. Okay, so between two appearances, that's like a pretty high Yeah, rate. yeah, it is a pretty high rate. <laughs> that's, I think that, that doesn't necessarily speak to anything you did. It's more just me. Oh, okay. See, I thought you were saying this in direct response to something I was saying. <laughs> you felt like throwing up. No, I just mean like... I'm, I've been hungover on your show. It would not be the first time someone that I have like expressed an opinion and someone's gone like, oh. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh my God. What a horrible miscommunication. We're <laughs> off to a rocky start. <laughs> yes. Well, last time you were here, Chloe, we were fresh off of seeing uh, Lana Del Rey at uh, uh, the Jones Beach Pavilion. Yeah. Do you know what I would absolutely kill to do right now? see any live music at all <laughs> yes that and i would actually love the the collective suffering of waiting in a huge crowd for a bus yes oh my god the bonding experience is really oh. what i'm craving right now that particular misery we told that, that story incredible. on the air when you were here last right oh yeah I'm we must sure we yeah we did yeah. we did then we wait what was it, like an hour and a half or was it longer I don't know. I think when I've told, maybe it's one of those things when I've told the story to others, it gets like a little longer every right, time. Yeah. But I think I would say two hours. Yeah. I think it was like an hour and a half or two hours. Uh, and I just like, I remember being like on such a high after the show, just being like, man, that was so fun. She played all these songs and then just having it just immediately that buzz getting killed by <laughs> Seeing how many people were waiting in line and how few buses there were. And we made the wrong choice. Do you remember when we made the wrong choice? It was, I think that was my fault. When we like got out of line. Yeah. Why did we do that? I think we were like, try, we were trying to get an Uber, right? Or a Lyft or something. Yeah. Oh, and then it was like $72. Yeah. Yeah. To go like a mile. Yeah. To go to the Long Island Railroad Station, which like was not that far away. Oh my god. It was Yeah, that cool. was that was really bad. 
It was so bad. It, it all, oh God. But you know, I would take it in a heartbeat right now. <laughs> oh, I'd love to do it now. I would lead a bus sing along. I would, I would be that person. <laughs> I know. I, it made me wonder too if like the first couple of buses were like everyone was like uh, singing uh, doing time together because they got yeah. on right away and everybody else is just like waiting the <laughs> huge amount of time. It's just like, yeah, no sing-alongs on this one, guys. Sorry. We were on the last bus and it was so bright, like like bus light has never seemed so harsh to me. Yeah. And I every time someone talked even though they were just doing it, you know, to pass the time, I was like, some of us are trying to relax in yeah. my brain on this like crowded concert bus. Yes. It was horrible. It was so brutal. Are you up on Lana Del Rey is like doing a spoken word album that's supposed to be coming out soon? Yeah, is it? So is is her new album that or is there also music? Is it like the poetry and the music or is it like the poetry and then the spoken word album? I think it is like poetry like with like over top of like a backing track I think was the last oh. I read but I may be confusing that I'm not sure um but yeah either way Violet is the title Violet oh I love it <laughs> that's so do, exciting she could do no wrong in my book I've been seeing a lot of people on um so there's this this kind of uh, aesthetic on TikTok called cottagecore, uh-huh. which is super like um, kind of a little bit Lana Del Rey, maybe a little more like uh, like provincial or something. I don't. That's a negative okay. word, but I don't mean it in a negative way. It's like yeah, a yeah. lot of like homemade things, like very like right. cottagey, like Animal Crossing yeah. flowers <laughs> yes. kind of thing. Yeah. And um, so many people are making violet syrup. Oh, like simple syrup with violet in it. And it's the prettiest color. Oh my God. It's, it's so beautiful. And they always like take it outside and put it in the sunlight and it's, it looks so nice. But then when I think about it one step further, I'm like the chances that I would like flower syrup are so <laughs> low. <laughs> I just looked it up. This color is amazing. It's beautiful. <laughs> I, oh wow. I could, I could get into this hardcore. Yeah, honestly, you should, if you, if you get on TikTok the first time that, like, you can watch the Cottagecore tag, but also if you watch enough of them, they'll just start to come up for you. Mm -hmm. And so, like, now every third video is someone, like, making, like, that uh, garden focaccia and, like, laying in a field. Oh, wow. And I'm like, God, I wish that were me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, would you say that your uh, consumption of TikTok in quarantine has gone up or stayed exactly the same as it was before? Well, it did. It went down for a while. Okay. Like for, for a couple of months, I, I didn't open it at all. Maybe two months I didn't open it. And then gotcha. I had started to watch it again mm -hmm. in like late February. Yeah. And then um, I was um, in the hospital in early March because I like got injured. Um, and so I was there for like four days and I realized on the first day so they give you like a tv by your bed i hurt my back so i couldn't move and they, so there was right. this tv by my bed and it had like all the channels on it and i was excited about that i was like sick i can watch tv and then they told me that the tv was ten dollars a day and it reset at midnight it wasn't like 24 hours like if i got it at 10 p.m what? i would have to pay ten dollars for two hours and then it would reset at midnight 
And so I was like, I don't know why I chose this to be stubborn about because clearly <laughs> at four days in the hospital will cost thousands of dollars. Yeah. But I was like, you know what I'm not going to do? Yes. Pay 10 bucks a day to watch <laughs> CNN. TV. So I did not buy TV. And then I really, I really got a, got back on the wagon. Oh yeah. Clockwise. Yeah. Never looked I would back. do it for like eight hours a day. <laughs> right. <laughs> it is, I mean, like it's, you can really just, you could like days can go by looking at the stuff on there. Truly. And it's like, there are so much of it is dancing. Like mm -hmm. when you're, um, and I mean, I can't, I can barely do the dances anyway. Like I'm, I'm at home right now. And, um, I've yeah. been trying to hit the woe and um, my sister like will try to help me and like five attempts and she'll be like, you know what? I give up <laughs> like very seriously. So it's not like I can do the dances anyway, but when you're like immobile and you're like laying down, watching all of these like super like fluid dance movements is really comforting. Yeah. So I just kept watching forever. <laughs> yes. And it's lifting your spirits in these, uh, these times. It is. It is. You, you got not to not to uh, shout out a uh, Tart magazine, uh, Chloe yeah. Ryan. Uh, but you guys had a tweet that I thought was like so funny. That was like, how would you describe these times? And it was a poll, and it was like uncertain, unprecedented. What do you remember? What the other <laughs> ones were? <laughs> um, trying. I don't remember the last one, but I was. I thought about that because um, I'd been watching. TV like more I don't have cable at home but I've been mm. watching TV here um yeah. and uh all the commercials like every brand sort of like how every brand sent out emails as soon as the yes as the virus got bad and people started to be um in quarantine you know you get a brand from fucking like outdoor voices like we're oh, with God. you like I'm sure you are outdoor voices yeah, thank yeah thanks but um all the commercials too for like even things like Walmart are like in these unprecedented times, in these mm. trying times, in these, I mean, it's like, yeah, I'm never going to use any of those phrases again because absolutely not. I feel like I've heard them so many times and you know, on one hand, I do not envy the advertising professional who has to come up with this stuff right now. Mm -hmm. But if I see another vertically filmed commercial oh, set God. to that rise up song i yeah. don't know what i'm gonna do it's horrible it is like we we were talking about this last week because uh we we talked about the last dance that michael jordan documentary series that's airing right now mm -hmm. and it's like you watch it and first of all there are so many fewer commercials just because like none of these none of like the, the like mid-level companies have have the money to buy them at the moment um, yeah. And so it's like the same three commercials every break. And one of them is this like Facebook portal device. Have you seen this one? Facebook? No. It's like I don't a, think so. it's, it's basically like their, their video calling, like their FaceTime thing. Uh-huh. And it's just this, like this, it's like they're doing it to uh, uh, some queen, this might even be under pressure. You know, which is like a very oh like cynical choice for, for this for this time. Uh, and it's just now like, you feel like you can't use any of the words. Yeah, exactly. I know. I had to pause. Like what kind of time? 
<laughs> what kind of time is it? I found the tweet, by the way. The four choices are unprecedented, challenging, uncertain, or, or trying. <laughs> and uncertain. And there's no clear winner. Uh, no yeah, one knows. Uncertain and unprecedented are pretty neck and neck at this, at this <laughs> But anyway, it's like, yeah, you watch TV and it's only like the biggest corporations that are responsible for so many of society's ills are the ones that you're like face to face with right now and it's inescapable. It's a terrible feeling. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so other than that. Other than that. So I asked you here today, Chloe, Brian, from Mashable.com, to talk about a book that I know we have both read that you were right on top of when it came out pretty much. And it took me like three years to get on board the train, which is uh, Lizzie Goodman's oral history of the New York music scene from 2001 to 2011, Meet Me in the Bathroom. Yes. I actually don't think I was... Um as up on it as I could have been. I think I waited yeah. a year. Oh, okay. well, still. That's, the good uh, thing about it is that it's good at any time. It is good at any time. I like my initial reaction to reading it was like, this is both the best book to be reading during quarantine in New York and the worst because it like, it is on some level just a book about how fun it is to stay out all night. <laughs> like, yeah. You do kind of get, like, the vicarious thrill of, like, feeling like you're at uh, uh, some, like, dirty, druggy party with, like, everybody, and, like, everybody's weighing in on it. But also, right. it's just, like, it hammers home how uh, far away from that, ever, like, daily life feels at the moment. I don't know. I'm mm -hmm. conflicted. It does. I Some of the, uh, like, a big part of the magic of it for me was the like how much it focused on being part of a scene and like yes. feeling like ownership or identification of with a certain thing because of being physically present somewhere. Right. Like going to a party or like seeing someone like, I don't remember which guy it was, but someone would always like be serving drinks at this bar and you would go mm. and see him and then you'd know you'd seen him play and you could go talk to him and yeah, that kind of thing. I mean, even without quarantine, I think the the way that we identify with music culture now is super different because of the internet but 100 it really does drive home like that you can't go to a bar <laughs> yeah totally uh like uh, yeah i would just be reading it and being like like yeah like so and so like bartended here and then he would get us free drinks all night like you and then i forget what bar it is but there's one story about how it was like you would go in you would put a 20 on the table and they'd give you a bottle and leave you alone. <laughs> yeah, you can't do that anywhere during no. quarantine. Imagine no. doing that at like a Washington Commons. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> it's just the first bar I could think of. I don't know. Yeah. What, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Do it at Alligator Lounge. <laughs> your free pizza slice. <laughs> oh God. That pizza is, honestly, it's fine. But it is like, it, it is kind of this, like, this, this, uh, I mean, obviously it's like a time capsule of this, like, era, but it, it, it's kind of like the last local music scene in a way. Mm -hmm. Because now, because, like, everybody just, like, throws their, their, like, mixtape or whatever, like, on Bandcamp uh, or SoundCloud, and it's like, I want to be famous everywhere. Like, it doesn't matter. I, I just feel like local scenes don't exist in the way that, like, we grew up thinking that they did because of the internet yeah like 
the idea, sort of like the general idea of a local scene, I think is in some ways like really, really strong because of the internet. It's just cultivated in a different way. Like yeah, the the work you put in to be someone's fan or the the I don't know, like the exclusivity of it mm-hmm. is just made in such a different way. Like, I mean, you see that with like stands or like knowing all of these like deep cuts because you found them online or like things leaking and your position on the week and your position on what someone has said in the past or whether they're problematic like it's just that that part is so different than anything like this but the the sort of uh like I was there feeling is the same yeah for sure um yeah it's definitely like a question of scale I think now uh and like I think the one of the things that's like most interesting about the book to me is that like it totally does like succumb to that thing of like you know it's just on a certain level it's just kind of like these people like nostalgic for their youth and like romanticizing a certain era of New York in a way. Uh huh. But I do feel like Lizzie Goodman is like very smart about describing the specific ways like the specific circumstances that like allowed that to happen and then the same set of circumstances that like let it kind of dissipate at the same time like she takes a lot of pains at the beginning of the book to be like new york was rich because of the dot-com boom so people were opening up record labels and and venues for people to perform and mm-hmm. the music industry was still in New York in a big way and uh, like was flush with all this money from CD sales in the 90s. So they were like looking to sign bands because they could like afford to take risks in a way that they can't now uh, that we have all of these online, like all this online, uh, uh, um, like all these online sources of revenue for the, the music industry that are just lower than physical media sales were. Uh, and I did not expect that level of like clear headedness, I guess, about it. Uh, mm-hmm. I kind of expected it to just be like, ah, those were the days. But it's like it's it's smarter than that, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, I think so, too. Well, yeah, like people move still to New York thinking it thinking of it as like this idea that doesn't really exist. And I guess never really did in the way people have like mythologized it so right. it's it's good to see that I don't know like it, it's just exactly what you said like the conditions that created that sort of freedom like didn't have roots in freedom at all they had mm-hmm. roots in capitalism and right. the internet which ultimately destroyed those things anyway yeah so it's I I thought I one of the things I really liked about it is that it struck a good balance between like realism and mythology. Totally. Because the the magic of feeling like you were in those places was real, but they were also in context. Mm -hmm. Um, And whether the characters in the book think that or believe that or not, like I think some of them do and some of them don't. But um, giving both of those things equal weight, I thought was a really good choice and one that taught me a lot because I wasn't in New York then right and I really didn't when I read the book I I came to it pretty fresh about that era like when when the music was coming out I mean I was a kid and I was just starting to get 
into music, you know, that wasn't like what my parents were playing in the car. I was starting to like find it for myself. Mm -hmm. But most of the bands, with a few exceptions, most of the bands that they talked about did not feel accessible to me. Like Mm -hmm. when I would bring them up to like the teen boys I was friends with, like they would sort of gatekeep them to the Mm -hmm. point where I was like, okay, well, fuck you guys. I'll just find something else that I like. Yeah. And so, and when this music in this book was coming out, I was listening to Rilo Kylie basically. Totally. But then when I got older and I listened to like the strokes finally, <laughs> like yeah, I, yeah. I, I knew of the strokes and I liked them, but I knew, I mostly knew the strokes because um, my first boyfriend put them on a mix CD for me. Uh-huh. He put like someday on it and I liked the song, but I I didn't really think about it in the context of the band. I thought about right. it in the context of like, what message are you trying to send me by putting this on here? Yeah. <laughs> and so all of that, was, like the context was completely lost on me. Right. But as I started to like appreciate those bands later, after all the events of this book were long gone. Yes. Yeah, I was I... like, okay, it's good to like understand what was going on in a way that I didn't before. Yes, I, I, I was also a bit of a Johnny come lately to this like whole crop of bands uh, that they talk uh-huh. about in the book, um, where like I there was a Stroke song in uh, an episode of Scrubs, <laughs> <laughs> which is the lamest way to get into like an otherwise very cool band. <laughs> well, you uh, know, the Regina Spector is one of my favorite artists ever, and mm-hmm. I found out about Regina Spector because she was playing in an American Eagle. So That's so funny. Sometimes that's just how it happens. Yeah. She was just I speaking I'll just take a quick detour. It's like I just watched this documentary about uh uh, uh other music, the record store that closed in uh, West Village or in the uh East Village a couple years ago. Uh-huh. And she is in it uh and it's just like she all of her interviews she manages to just like mention she calls herself a quote-unquote analog person like 400 times <laughs> in this documentary where like they cut back to her and she's just like i need to listen to music on record i can't li- li- like read a book on a kindle and I, we were just like you i bet you could do it <laughs> regina <laughs> <laughs> oh my god remember anti-folk remember oh, that yes. term yes what the hell <laughs> that was crazy <laughs> her story is like really cool uh in the in the book she gets like a nice little um uh write-up i feel like where it's like and she's like this mythical figure where julian casablanca's like here's her demo and it's just like who is this we need her on our tour yeah and he like sticks up for her mm-hmm. in front of the labels and do you know that picture i don't i don't remember if it's in the book or not but it's like the strokes and kings of leon and her and she's the only girl in the picture and she's right in the middle and she's like doing a little shoulder pose. And yeah. they're all just like great friends. It's, it's so nice. Yeah, the, she talks about them in a way that like, is it, just like a really classy, I feel, uh, and in a way that I was like not expecting that it, for it to feel like that collegial behind the scenes at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like, that was like really cool to, to see. Um, yeah, I love her. Me too. I mean, that tour, I feel like, do you feel like the Kings of Leon are like very out of place in this book? You know, I don't think of them in the same way as I think of the other bands. And yeah, book. but I wonder if that's just like, 
I think maybe I just have compartmentalized them because of Nashville. I, I totally. wonder if I just think of Nashville differently than every other city, which is totally unfair. But once you sort of like the, the way that like I approach like country music in my brain is totally different than definitely anything else. So I wonder if that's just like my bias, but I don't, yeah. I didn't think of them as like, I was surprised that they were in there. I, totally and I guess was. I guess a lot of people were surprised they were in there, but yes. I, I yes. liked hearing from them. They were really interesting. They had a couple of like really fun stories uh, about like staying in London hotels with the Interpol and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, I, I that was a big thing that I like learned from the book, which is that they were even like part of this same like movement like i i would have had i would have believed you if you'd have been like yeah no one knew the kings of leon like no one ever met them like they were on a completely different scene like like yeah yeah i sort of thought that too yeah ryan adams sorry go ahead go ahead i was just gonna say um i have always liked kings of leon and i feel like i've been uh, in the minority (laughs) but I I'll will go say, I will say no comment on this. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you've never listened to Sex on Fire and been like, "That's right, it is." <laughs> it is on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Sex on Fire is about Britney Spears uh, burning down her home gym with a candle. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, if if only that were true. <laughs> <laughs> then I would be like the biggest Kings of Leon stand there is. <laughs> right, it's crazy they didn't mention that in the book. Um yeah, Ryan Adams is a similar one where he's just like he like comes from like uh, one of the Carolinas and just like comes through New York sometimes and like uh one of the funniest moments in the book for me is when the strokes tell him not to hang out with them anymore. Oh, I loved that. I think I read this right um, right after that Phoebe Bridgers story came out. And so when I saw Ryan oh, Adams yeah. appear, I was like, oh, not this yeah, guy. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. everyone was mean to him. And I was like, great. Every, <laughs> yeah, he, it's so funny because his reaction is just like, like every bad friend you've ever had being like, what's the big deal? Like, I don't know what I did. Sounds like a problem with them. <laughs> right yeah (laughs) or like yeah just like the the entitlement yeah like yeah just he just seems like a person who i I imagine him just constantly around with a guitar on him just like responding to things with with little songs and then being like well yeah they there's like there's another great anecdote about him where this they're they're like all asked to do some some mtv like it's like some like bad uh uh like cable show or something it's like mtv prom or something that's not what it's called but it's like something like that and like the strokes and interpol both say no and ryan adams is like yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'll play my songs on the tv (laughs) (laughs) anyway i wish i i wish i had this specific thing in front of me but uh I know, I don't have the book in front of me. No, me neither. It's in New York, and my brother has it. And I thought about trying to get him to bring it, but he's, like, quarantining in a different spot. And I was like, are you going to have two weeks of anxiety attacks because you need a copy of this book right now? And I decided against it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's probably the safe, uh, uh, safe track there. 
Uh, yeah. Um, I wanna I wanted to say one more thing about the the internet thing that we were talking about earlier because like um, one other point in the book's uh, favor for me is that it like it is very even handed about like the good parts of the internet and like the good things the internet has brought to music also mm-hmm. because like there definitely is like a fair share of record executives in this book being like the internet like ruined music like we have no money now like yada 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 and then Harmar superstar of all people is just like no the internet's great <laughs> like <laughs> he's like he's like people are like like super fans of mine and they know everything about me and like that's awesome and i think it was him who brought up this point that i had never thought of before which is like the internet allowed like young bands to get exposed to music they like that they never would have found otherwise and it just like it had this like very real change on like the sound that bands had after like this era that uh the book is covering um and i never thought about that about how like like you know before this the reason like local scenes had such a defined sound like be like the mc5 and like iggy pop and like detroit and like uh uh their era and then like the New York punk scene and all that stuff is because like people only heard the music that was like happening around them and it, that it was for sale at their local record store. Mm-hmm. And I, I never thought about the ways that like the, the, the internet just kind of allowed for like a more like cosmopolitan sound uh, to emerge, um, which, you know, it, it's a nice thing to think about. Yeah. I've n- I hadn't really thought about that either. But do you, um, when you think about that, do you mourn things being more geographic or I don't do you feel like this is this so. is the way forward? I kinda I feel like it's good in the sense that like it kind of frees bands up from like having to fit in in a way that they might otherwise feel like they have to. Uh because like mm-hmm. um you know, if like, if I was in a band here in New York and I was like only seeing like a very like particular kind of rock music, I would kind of feel like I have to do that to fit in. You know what I mean? But uh, if I know that there's like a a fan base, I guess, out there for like this other thing that's closer to uh, the thing that I feel like I should or like could make, then I feel like I would be more encouraged to go on. Mm, that makes sense. Um. Maybe. I don't know. This is an interesting, this is an interesting point. I don't know. How do you feel? Um, another moment that I thought was like super interesting that uh, um, kind of stuck out to me was uh, when Karen O of the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs is talking about meeting Debbie Harry. Yes. This is one of my favorite parts of the book or the one that I've thought about the most, I think. Yeah. And she's like, she like confides in Debbie Harry that she like feels some kind of way about being the only woman in like a very male dominated rock scene at the time. Mm-hmm. And she thinks that Debbie Harry is going to like encourage her and just be like, hang in there. Like you got this. And instead she goes, enjoy it while it lasts, honey. <laughs> Which is like crushing. <laughs> it's like <laughs> It's so cynical. It's, it, yeah. Yeah, it's brutal. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go on. No, you didn't cut me off. Um, I, I have thought about that a lot, and you know, like when you read that, 
or when I read that my first impulse is to be like pissed at Debbie Harry right like yeah Jesus like, be nice to her and give her some encouragement but I mean there is I mean there's obviously truth to it for a lot of reasons but it's it's also kind of reminds me of like this idea that is still like pretty pervasive that if you lean in really hard to your identity as a woman and in your work or if you like focus on how you're treated your mm. work can easily become about that instead yeah. of what you wanted to make in the first place and that's not fun and right. you won't enjoy it so it's just this I mean, it is just crushing to think about, but I, I, I feel so, my feelings about it are so complicated. You know, you see it in like people talking about um, working in, in male dominated fields, even now when you, you know, when you think of like, um, like a, like a whistleblower at a tech company or something, who's a woman who's talking about like sexism in her workplace or how she feels isolated when uh, when you hear those people's names now that's what you think yeah you don't think about their their work in the same way and that's you know a cultural problem but it's it's real so i don't i mean maybe debbie harry was just like leave me alone yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't know if she was like predicting uber or anything yeah yeah <laughs> but it did make me think about that it's it's just a conundrum it's like Definitely. a conundrum that anyone faces if they're not a man in a, a male-dominated atmosphere. Right. I guess, yeah, because, like, I think part of what was so crushing to me about it is, like, what Karen o, what she seems to want from this interaction in, like, her telling of the story is this, like, older, maybe not so much mentor figure, but definitely, like, someone she looks up to being like it's okay like it gets better you know Mm -hmm. and instead debbie harry comes back at her and is essentially saying no this is as good as it gets (laughs) right and it's also this incredibly famous woman implying that something is over for her yes which is so sad it's very oh it's devastating i'm laughing but i'm i'm laughing because it's sad yes yeah no i know (laughs) That kind of laugh. Yeah. That quarantine laugh. Yeah, that, that one that we all know too well. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like, it's that, I feel like it, it, it hit me in a way too, because it's like, it plays on a very like intense fear that I have in general about life, which is just like, what if this is the best part? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, that's real. And Debbie Harry was like like very literally telling Karen O like this is like this is the best part. Like you need to appreciate. It. Like in some way. I mean, maybe I'm re- reading too much into it, but that's definitely how it struck me. No, yeah, I don't think you're reading too much into it. it there's all I mean, in so many things there's this tension between ambition and um you know, like living in the moment mm-hmm. messaging. And it's so hard for those two things to exist together. Yeah. And if, especially if you're a woman. Right. And it's, yeah, it's, it's very, I'm, I'm glad, but also not surprised that the both of us focused on that exchange in such a big book because yeah, it is really affecting. It's really affecting. It also kind of hits on another sort of like interesting uh, tension in the book, which is like this 
contrast that she draws between the band, like the Manhattan bands, like the Strokes, uh, who are like, like they kind of represent like chaos in a way where they're mm-hmm. just like, stay out all night. Like, uh, uh, you know, don't rest till you see the sun, like do drugs, like dr- drink heavily, like all this stuff. And then like bring that energy into the music mm-hmm. versus the like much more like domesticated, like what she calls the Brooklyn bands that are like the vampire weekends who are just like, you know, Ezra Canning is just like, I don't love to party. Like, I like to get up in the morning and drink coffee. And it's like, <laughs> it's interesting, but it's like all those bands who like that, that like Manhattan band generation kind of like make fun of or like implicitly call lame and boring are like the ones who have had these like very long, like rich careers. And like, I know the Strokes like just put an album out this year, but they did kind of burn out in a way. And the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs did kind of burn out also. So mm-hmm. it's like, they are like probably like the more fun and like more energetic uh, like figures to have on the scene. But it's like, it, it, they end up concluding that it's like a very like unsustainable method of like approaching your career. And that part was interesting to me because like surely there has to be some middle ground between like being a boring asshole and like just like burning yourself out completely. But it doesn't feel like they really reach a conclusion. Yeah, I don't know. I think in Vampire Weekend's case, they're, they've been so adaptable. Yes. That they've kind of fit whatever time they're in. In a way, I mean, not, you know what I mean. In a way they have. Like Mm -hmm. listening to their album that came out last year, it like, it's, I think it's super unique, but it still like seems like an album that came out in 2019. Totally. And you know, like Danielle Himes on it and stuff. Yeah. But I really like that album. I do too. My uh, my my little sister made me a, a Spotify playlist, and uh, one of the songs from that is on it. And yeah, I was yeah, I was I thought that was really good. That's the awesome. playlist is like the amount of uh, of sad girl music on it. I was like, Ooh, <laughs> here you go. Yep, <laughs> you're launching off. <laughs> it had like. Uh, I don't know if it had Phoebe Bridgers on it, but it had like Wet and like Adrian Lenker and stuff. Oh sure, <laughs> I know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think like with uh the Manhattan versus Brooklyn thing, mm-hmm. having not it's another thing where having not experienced that the the contrast is sort of like comical to me because yeah those things have now been taken to their natural conclusion to such an extent that it seems kind of like it seems silly like when people try to draw that comparison now it's so mm-hmm. you know like uh like north brooklyn and the lower east side are both full of different people now yes and yes. so to draw that comparison now seems like uh a little like at, at like tacky totally or like like i guess at best ta- in, in 2020 at best tacky and at worst like pretty harmful mm-hmm. but i understand that it was different then so it's it's just weird to like wrap my brain around now it's it's that- so it's so foreign to me to even imagine manhattan having like a thriving music scene right or like taking the l as this like enormous deal <laughs> right yeah <laughs> like 
you know, obviously, like, these places still, ha- like, Mercury Lounge still exists. Like, there, there are plenty of venues in, like, downtown in Manhattan for, like, bands to play in. But, like, mm-hmm. no one lives there, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> I think part of, I, the single thing about the book that makes, that I am, like, very specifically wistful for is, like, everybody living in the same place that they're hanging out, you know? Like, yeah, that's a really good point. Like, because uh, we've been like all pushed to like the far corners of Brooklyn, but then like all still work in Manhattan. Uh, like, I it's just like it's interesting to to realize that like what I think of as a normal like oh sure I'll take the subway for like forty five minutes to like go hang out with Chloe in Crown Heights is like not a problem that any generation before ours has had. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I mean, we're so um, geographically close to one another, but it takes so long. It takes forever. (laughs) And I'm like, I know we're three miles away. Should I just walk? Yeah, I know. (laughs) Should I just walk for an hour? (laughs) But yeah, like, yeah, I think the the idea of um, meeting up and hanging out even is totally different. Yeah. Like on on the fly plans. You yes. Can't, I don't remember the. I don't know. I mean, I I still make on the fly plans. I mean, now I yeah. have no plans. I do well, have a yeah. plan to to set outside later. So I guess yes, that's yeah. something I'm doing. That is that's but, my big plan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but just yeah, just the like, let's get everyone together and like we're all in the same place already, and we're all <laughs> going to go to this thing where everyone else who lives here also is. Right seems very foreign to me yeah even just like seeing people on the street I feel like uh uh happens I mean maybe it's because it was winter for a while and I just haven't done it in a while Uh, (laughs) but uh uh that just feels like less and less of a of a thing that happens to me it's just like yeah I was out walking around and guess who I ran into uh that being said I I did um while uh, running in my neighborhood the other day, did uh, uh, I was wearing a mask, and this other person was wearing a mask, and I thought she was someone I knew, and she thought I was someone she knew, and we both <laughs> went to say hi to each other and like lowered our masks, and it was the wrong person. So both clearly, of you did that. Both of us did it. I was like, "Oh my god, you look exactly like my friend," and then she was like, "You look exactly like my friend," and I just kept going. <laughs> Are you guys so- friends now? No. <laughs> oh my God. Like, it's not the scene's fault, Colby. That was your moment to make That's, a friend. Yeah, you know what? You're right. You're right. This is this is a personal responsibility that I'm willing to accept. <laughs> I shut people out, Chloe. Oh my gosh. That's it's not crazy that city. it happened to both of you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, that's the, the crazy city. thing. Is that I looked enough like someone she knew <laughs> to make the same mistake. Anyway. Oh my god. Clearly I'm hungry for that neighborhood connection. Yeah. Me uh, too. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Um there was a review of 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 the book that was written by Franz Nicolay for Slate, who is the keyboardist in the Hold Steady. Oh yes. And his like he's like I love this book but this Manhattan versus Brooklyn thing is bullshit. Uh he's like this is fake like no one thought of it this way like ha- like Vampire Weekend didn't even live in Brooklyn. Uh like it was just a like like Manhattan bands 
warmed things up for everybody and then they got resentful of like all the other bands that like uh came along immediately after them oh okay uh which is very interesting to me uh as an idea yeah. i don't know Go ahead. the fact that a lot of the the brooklyn brooklyn and air quotes i know everyone can see me doing air quotes right now um yeah. <laughs> weren't in brooklyn is funny yeah it was like tv on the radio was like the the only band that actually lived there and everyone else just like came and played <laughs> like oh my god and no one <laughs> no one even yeah yeah thought about that <laughs> yeah what was the deal didn't he talk about the yeah yeah yeahs in that article like in some ways they're like sort of coded as like downtown mm-hmm. and then in some ways they're coded as brooklyn and it's not really like super clear yeah what what side they're supposed to be on yes. which maybe speaks to the bigger problem of the sides not being real mm-hmm. yeah that was super interesting to me that like about the yeah the yeah 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 specifically uh because like i think of them as like so hard you know <laughs> like <laughs> their whole aesthetic is like very rock and roll to me which is like oh a very God. very lame thing to say <laughs> but... no i love them i love <laughs> them so much they were i put this in my notes for the show and i'm going to say it now even though i i wasn't sure if i would when i wrote it the yeah yeah yeah's were the first band that while i was listening to them i i made the connection that their music was making me horny <laughs> whoa <laughs> <laughs> literally the first like I obviously like music had made me feel like that before, but totally. it was the first time that I was like, Ooh, "Oh, this is horny." I get it. <laughs> Here's what's happening. That's awesome. That's good. I'm glad that that made it onto the show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, they're so good. The what, whatever album it was that had maps on it was the one that we just like had in the car uh, and just oh, like yeah, that's driving around with that plane, right? Huh. I think that's, is that Fever to Tell? Yes, yeah, Fever to Tell. And uh, it was just like nuts. driving my brother around in the summertime just like with that album on. It's like, oh, that's a choice. It's so good. And I, I, I had never heard a girl yell like that. Yeah. I was like, finally. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it, just, it made me feel like euphoric. Yeah. Like, like it, and I, I know that there's like, obviously like, it's everything about it is like deliberate, but right. Cause they're, I, I do feel like they're, they were like a pretty self-conscious band, but definitely it just, it just sounded so like there was like no control. And as you know, like a 13 year old, I was like, this can happen. Yeah. <laughs> like, seriously. Where it's like, but that, that, that is one of the coolest things about the book is that like everybody, there are like two things in the book that like everybody agrees on. Like, one is that the Strokes dudes were cool, and the other <laughs> one is that Carano uh, was like the most captivating person on stage that like anyone had ever seen. Yeah, have you and seen I them think, before? I have never seen them. I would love to. I saw them once at, but it was at a festival, mm-hmm. and so I feel like it wasn't. I don't know. I mean, I loved it, and she was so captivating. Yeah. And, I, I like like even visually it was just amazing but I wish I had seen them in like a venue yeah that would be cool uh 
we should before because we're you know we're coming into the last uh, 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 ten minutes or so of the show here. We have not talked about James Murphy at all. <laughs> <laughs> which, which after reading his uh, uh, attitude in this book, I'm kind of fine with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's. I mean, he's. It's, he's just one of those like public figures who I, I just have to accept if, if I met him in real life or anyone like him, I yeah. would hate him. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, if, if someone in real life said 10% of the shit he says in this book, I would hate them with my life, but Absolutely. I'm making the world's biggest exception for him. And I'm like, oh, it's so endearing. <laughs> I know. I know. I just like, I, I got to a certain point with, with reading about him in this book where I was just like, if this guy comes into the studio one more time and insists on playing every instrument himself, I'm going to lose it. <laughs> I like, love when he does ecstasy. That's my favorite. Oh yeah. I was, story. I definitely wanted to bring this part up too, because it's one of the, it's like, just to set the scene, I guess, for, for people who haven't read it, it's like James Murphy's, uh, um, uh, attitude for like the first chunk of the book is like this very like straight laced like does not do drugs like does not really party just like very like intense audio nerd who just like is really smart so everybody like has him around and then he like he they they convince him to do ecstasy at this party while playing what he calls his favorite song the Beatles tomorrow never knows <laughs> <laughs> which is like this moment happened in like the late nineties in New York and should have happened like 30 years earlier. <laughs> like someone's like doing drugs and listening to the Beatles uh, and like having their aha moment. Uh, and every, all of his friends are interviewed in this, in this segment and just being like, we saw James and he was so happy and he was dancing and we were like, we finally got to him. <laughs> It's so absurd. Did you have something so funny. you wanted to say about it? <laughs> I just, I remember, I don't remember uh, the person who said it, but someone was like, yeah, you know, it's like listening to the blues for the first time. Oh like, my God. And I was like, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe it is. <laughs> Could be. It is a weird, it was like a weird thing that uh, um, struck me as odd in like the first several chapters of the book where people talk about like what uh, like bars they were going to and why at the time is they would be like yeah we kept going to this one place because they played David Bowie and Led Zeppelin and it's like imagine wanting to go to a bar that played Led Zeppelin now you know yeah what kind of bar describe the bar that you think would play Led Zeppelin now oh god I'm thinking like you know what it's probably Alligator Lounge honestly Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. Freaking uh, ramble on is playing. You're getting your free pizza. <laughs> you're in the thirty person deep free pizza. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Oh, it's the best. Uh. <laughs> well, Chloe, any final thoughts about the book before we wrap up here? I don't think so. Do you want to? Do we want to talk about our favorite songs? Oh yes, let's do a really quick, uh, a really quick favorite songs from the era. Okay. All right, mine are first? a little basic. Okay. Yes. I'm sure that mine will be as well. 
Um, obviously maps. Yes. Maps was on my list as well. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite Yeah, Yeah, Yeah song is Down Boy, which is on um, their EP. And it's mm-hmm. amazing. Um, that, that's the horny one. And oh, yes. okay. um, I also used to love this um, Regina Spector song, Some Days, which is very sad. And um, I loved it so much. I would cue it up a couple times in a row on mm. my iPod on the school bus when it was raining. So I knew I could really get the most out of the, the rainy ride. Yeah. That was oh. big for me. Um, and hmm, I just got into Interpol for the first time at age 26 last year. <laughs> but maybe Slow Hands is my favorite. There's another one that I really like, and I can't remember the name of it right now. Um, and my favorite, ooh, what's my favorite Stroke song? Hmm. That's a. I thought I knew, but I'm not. My answer is different than it was going to be. Yeah, before. I was like someday. I was gonna say Reptilia, but I'm not gonna. Yeah, I don't know. Oh yeah. Hmm. Maybe it's New York City Cops. Oh yeah, that might be. Yeah, that might be better than someday for me too. New York yeah. City Cops is so good. Oh no no wait. Eyes of the world is my favorite okay here we go that's definitely my favorite it i can't get through the i can't get past the first um verse without crying Mm -hmm. and i don't know i don't know why that's always been a huge mystery to me yeah but that's awesome though per the rules if it makes you cry you gotta say it's (laughs) so did you listen to the new one at all I did a little bit because I saw them with my siblings for New Year's Eve. Mm. And so I wanted to know the new songs, but they really didn't play that many. I think they just okay, they yeah. knew that people wanted to hear the old ones. Which yeah, is, yeah, yeah. You know, every band's. How were they on New Year's Eve? They were great. It was it was really fun. I mean, it was the the range of age in my group of siblings is so big that like it was cool to be able to see one of the bands that we all really like. Yeah. And um, they're my brother Ross's favorite band. And I oh, think yeah? for them, yeah, for, for him, it's like, that's what like cool New York is to him. Mm-hmm. Like they they just like completely embody it. And so for him to like be in New York and see them was like a really, he, he's like pretty quiet. Yeah. And um, he was like pretty quiet the whole trip. And um, I was standing next to him during the show and they, they started playing. Maybe it was Eyes of the World. They started playing and he let out this scream that was like the loudest thing <laughs> I've ever heard. And so like, um, like guttural, like it was, it was so raw. He was so happy. That was really cool. That's awesome. And they're just fun. Like they're fun to like jump around to. Even in uh, yeah. the Barclays Center. Right, yeah. Even when these, like, practically vertical seats on the upper level. Yeah. Where you feel like you're yeah. going to fall off at any time. I wasn't in down. those. I oh, was okay, in the good. middle, luckily, or I would have fallen, because I saw Lord up on the top. And oh, wow. I, I really did fall. Like, I, I was like, <laughs> I just don't have a very good sense of balance. <laughs> so... So as soon as I would try to dance to Lord, like I would kind of move forward and I would be like, don't die today. Yeah. <laughs> Today's not your day. 
<laughs> I have to ask if the Strokes played Old Lang Syne uh, to go to midnight. They pl- they might have. Yeah. They definitely played something at midnight. Yeah. And their their openers came out to play it with them. Oh, I that's I don't cool. remember. Who opened? They, there was definitely like a countdown. And of course, like Julian Casablancas was like, well, I guess we got to do this. <laughs> yeah okay that's the moment i wanted that's good <laughs> or they were like working out how they would they kind of split the set between like pre-new years and post-new years and so oh, cool. like okay. on stage he would be like yeah man you guys want to hear this one after or, like really that's just working it out so funny <laughs> that's kind of what you would want honestly <laughs> yeah i i definitely liked it uh well rad uh well chloe thanks so much for coming on and talking thank you for having me it's so fun uh any uh any parting words to the folks out there any uh uh final thoughts any any well wishes uh anything like that <laughs> what if i was like i actually have no well wishes <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no i do work. i i i hope everyone is staying safe and staying sane and i'm I'm hoping to to go to one bar and listen to a Led Zeppelin song at some point in the oh, future. Oh God! Yeah. Or maybe maybe a Yeah 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 song. Yeah, I would be into I would be into that. I remember um, once like going to a bar in Williamsburg and like seeing a band like setting up in the corner, you know. And uh, I was like, man, these guys like they were like, you know, they looked like very punk like they like just all the normal like punk things you would think about a band like they looked like that Mm -hmm. and then they started playing and it was like the slowest like countryest set i had ever heard and i was like interesting i was like this is uh wild (laughs) like (laughs) i don't know who i don't like i don't know what they're going for uh but i was like you know for surprising me my hat's off to you. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. They they defied expectations. That they did. Yeah. Love to see it. It was cool. Um. Anyway, now one day I'll find them and I'll sign them. Yes. Ooh, do you want to start a label? I do. What should we call it? Oh my God, I don't know. Death we'll from. We'll have to think about it. Death from below. <laughs> Death from below. <laughs> Or life from above. We can flip it either way. Yes. Easy listening. (laughs) Yeah, this episode has inspired me to start an easy listening (laughs) label. Uh, Well, Chloe, thanks so much. It was really fun to talk to you. And uh, Thank you. Maybe we'll do another book club episode sometime in the future. We should. That would be be great. Well, uh, stay safe. Take care. It was good to talk to you. And uh, everybody else, stay tuned to Radio Free Brooklyn. We'll talk soon.